Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Brian. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Edwin. Well, Brian, I'm super excited for this series that you and I are working on together called The First 100 Days in conjunction with Infotech Research Group. Can you share with us a little bit what this research is all about and and why it's important for any emerging business leader to think about it? Absolutely. So I was asked by Infotech Research Group to build a service for the first 100 days of being a CIO. Right. And what we know about CIOs is that they change their role really often. The average tenure of a CIO is only between two and four years. So that's not very long at all. A person that's a CIO in their career can expect to change their jobs many times. Right. And also what the research shows us is that the first 100 days is so critical when you're a new executive. So it sets the whole tone for your tenure and Fairly or not, that first 100 days will set the scope of what success you're able to achieve with your company. Yeah, I mean, this is really exciting. And this is something that I think about a lot as the more and more business leaders I I speak with, whether they're first-line management or tenured CIOs like we're talking about, can you tell us what we're expecting to hear over the next six, seven episodes in terms of the type of profiles that we're going to see, who we're having, and what we might learn from them. Yeah. So since Infotech already had a lot of research on what CIOs do in their first 100 days now to approach that, I wanted to get a different perspective. So I looked up as many CEOs and other types of chief executive officers mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, people that are like chief strategy officers, chief technology officers. And I wanted to interview them about how they approached the problem and how they would want a CIO to approach the problem. So I'm really starting to get a baseline for what the best practices are for a new leader in their first 90 days and 10 days before they start as well. That's amazing. Well, without getting too much into it, I'm really excited to jump in to the first interview that you had and conducted in terms of this research. Can you explain or let us know who it is and and why you thought it wouldn't be like a great experience for him to share or her to share their experience? Right. Well, you're being very kind saying that I interviewed them because you were there too. (laughs) Of course, we went together and we interviewed Wayne Berger. He's the CEO of IWG PLC for Canada and Latin America. Now, Edwin, actually, you and I met for the first time five years ago uh, when Wayne invited us to a Toronto Raptors game. And so it was interesting that we got to go five years later and interview him again and talk about when he became the CEO for Canada of IWG, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... It's funny story, as as you mentioned that, and it started a good long relationship with Brian and myself. But when Wayne, when we met at that Raptors games, I think Wayne, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, he was fairly new in his his executive role as well at IWG. Yeah, he was, and it was great to be able to go back and reflect on that time because, uh, you know, before he got this job, Wayne was the vice president at Staples. 
and he was recruited to become the CEO of IWG, which stands for International Workplace Group. And as the name suggests, it is all about providing office space. So this is often in a flexible and co-working environment scenario. So a couple of brands that people might be familiar with out in the market are Spaces Mm -hmm. and Regis. IWG owns both of those. So he didn't have a long time in between roles because what he was really clear about is he wanted to make sure to close out that job at Staples before diving into his new job. And you know what? He had a day and a half. Uh, and I was wondering, like, how do you spend that time when you have such a short time to prepare? And I was glad to hear one of the things he did was just for himself, because I think that before you start that new executive position, you need some time to yourself just to mentally prepare for the work ahead. I went for a run. I spent time with my kids. And then I also, I'm sure I took, I'm not somebody who is a nostalgist. So I didn't look back at my time. Um, I just looked forward and I spent that next day and a half preparing for the next step in my career. So I started reviewing financials. I received the full packet, uh, obviously under, under confidence, under NDA, started moving forward. So I started reviewing financials, reviewing our trends, Reviewing the company, reviewing the last, the previous year's annual reports, the last three years' annual reports, and then the semi-annual updates, um, just to make sure I had, I'd reviewed those prior when I was going through the interview process, just to make sure that one, I understood the business, I understood the organization that I was interested in joining, and number two, to make sure it was the right role for me and the right move for me. But that day and a half, I started preparing for my next role. That way I had an overall context of the business before I started diving into the business. Amazing to hear how Wayne transitioned from his role to a significant role in a new market, one that he didn't know. Brian, what do you see in your research and what's the norm for maybe not only CIOs, but other C-level executives when they transition? Yeah, so Robert Hargrove uh, talks about declaring an impossible future. And when we were interviewing Wayne, this really came to mind for me. Uh, Hargrove says that you have to start building a shared vision towards this new reality with your company. So you're hosting town halls, and you're identifying and enacting quick wins whenever you can. But you're also making sure, and this is so critical, you have to make sure you're listening and communicating with your staff Because you don't want people to feel like you're making uh, decisions rashly. You have to show them that you're taking the time to learn the business and hear what they have to say about the direction that it should go in. So it's a really fine balance that you have to strike between listening and taking action. Yeah, I mean, it's super important for everyone to listen, especially being new to the organization and a new leader. When it comes to listening and coming into a new organization, it's really important for that leader to have a vision. Let's hear what Wayne had to say about that. I'm a big believer in treating your career as a venture, right? And really challenging yourself to accomplish turning impossible into possible, right? And accomplish greatness, right? I want every single person in my organization to feel like they're accomplishing something great. And for me, there's nothing better than coming into something that is broken that is not working, that is performing poorly, and rebuilding it from P1 
people, to structure, to focus, to discipline, to accountability, to recognition, to methodology, and then launching on a path to greatness and planting the flags around that period and creating something exceptional, creating something that's the best. Right. So that's been my career through from the first time I dove into my first role as an individual contributor to leading my first teams to leading my first organizations. So making the change to a brand new industry was a wonderful challenge for me and required discipline to make sure that I didn't walk in with a defined vision because I didn't know what I didn't know yet. Right. There's no doubt that I had a goal where I wanted Canada at the time, which is what I led and what I supported, uh, I wanted Canada to be the best business globally in within IWG. I wanted Canada to be the best business amongst our industry across all of our competitors and our peers. I wanted it to be known as a place where our clients and our team members could have a wonderful experience every day because I think they're both interrelated and you can't have happy clients if you don't have happy team members. Um, and I also wanted to build a leadership factory. I wanted the rest of the world when they sought after the next great leader to by nature and by default say, well, this is easy. You call Canada because they build great leaders. When we were talking to Wayne, he also referenced Jim Collins from good to great. It's a book that I hear brought up a lot by executives, and it really shaped how he approached his mandate at IWG. The business was a good business on paper in an organization that was a top five business for size, um, a business that was producing, I would say, good profit, and a business that seemed to have some reasonable stability. But as you started to dive in, which I didn't expect, and by the, in an industry that was also very early stage, you know, we're still five years from the time I've joined, we're still in the second inning of a nine inning game in this industry. This industry is just becoming more mainstream than really it was five years ago. So when you put all that together, I thought, okay, well, this will be interesting to come in and start building the roadmap to greatness. And, and what I learned was it was good, but good was hiding a lot of issues. And I didn't anticipate what I would discover around culture and around um, challenges and around, frankly, stagnancy and growth. At this point of the interview, Wayne goes into discussing how he met with the other leaders within his company, and it was pretty impressive of what he did in his first 30 days, with his first 45 days, and he explains what he was trying to accomplish in those meetings. And one of my plans was to reach every market I could. So I wanted to make sure at the time we had 48 locations. My goal over that 90 days was to visit 45 of 48 locations. I knew I could say every one of them, but my concern is once you set that parameter and that goal, if you miss our amazing location, Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a miss now, right? It's not an effort. It's a miss, right? So I laid out my plan. I laid out what I felt I could achieve. My goal internally was to get to everywhere. 
within the first 90 days. But I knew I had to give myself a little bit of a buffer. And then I also re- reached out to every member from my direct reports right through to every community associate, every community manager, every area manager. And I said, as we meet, I'd like you to think of three. I'd like you to think of responses to three questions that are very important to me. Because um, it will help me understand what the world looks like today in Canada when it comes to co-working flex space at IWG. And the three questions were, number one, um, what's working today that you're proud of that we need to continue to exploit and grow? Number two was, what isn't working that you feel we need to address? And number three, if you're me, what would you do in the first 90 days? And... The reason why I asked those three questions was, number one, you can ask 20 questions, but then they just get lost, right? Because it's difficult to, to think about every answer to every question, right? And I, and I really wanted to crystallize what was most important in people's minds. I would gather together town halls of community managers and community associates including the area manager and the VP at the time. What was interesting was when I started out, the VPs were like, well, listen, we won't attend the meeting because we want them to speak freely. And I thought, well, there's a first sign of culture, right? That's something that needs to be fixed. The reality is if I have team members that do not feel comfortable or that do not trust their leaders, it's a major issue. And the funny thing is the VPs thought they were doing the right thing. Right? They thought, I, this, is a, this is me demonstrating good leadership. The reality is we had broken channels. What I noticed is that Wayne's careful examination uncovered a couple of pain points that he was able to quickly act on and get that critical quick win. It was amazing, the feedback. The feedback I heard from essentially almost every community manager and community associate was, they said, look, we care about our clients. We are here for our clients. We are here to serve our members every single day. And we do it with passion and enthusiasm and a true care. Their business is our business and we want them to succeed. And I thought, wow, that is really powerful. Now, what was interesting was they also said, we're only here for our clients. We're not here for our leadership team because we don't believe they support us. We don't believe they have the same commitment to the organization that we do. And frankly, if it wasn't for our clients, we wouldn't be here right now. And I thought, this is interesting. An organization that I came in that I thought, we'll move the levers a bit, we'll continue to grow, we'll we'll build on something that's already good, actually has a a fractured foundation. I have an organization that's disengaged from, from what looks like a reality. I have a leadership team that isn't connected to their organization. Another gap that we discovered was every single location that we had felt they were understaffed. But what was interesting was we were actually overstaffed. It wasn't an issue of being understaffed. It was an issue of how we were resourced across the country. We, were, we, we had nothing but a full-time organization, um, which was important but created inflexibility. And we were very center-centric. 
we could have a location, for example, in Toronto on the corner of Young and Richmond and a location in Toronto at the corner of Young and Shooter. It's one block apart. And they never met each other. They've never talked to each other. They didn't know each other. Mm. They were their own worlds. We had 48 locations that were 48 business units. And they didn't interact. So there was no collaboration. There was no culture or identity across Canada. right? And there was no opportunity to share resources. Because the reality is if you had one person call in sick at Brookfield Place in Toronto, now they fell short-staffed. What were they going to do? Where the reality is we may have had a full team at First Canadian Place and we can toggle and manage our staffing and our resources and help people understand that you don't just work at Brookfield Place. You work in Toronto. And if the means and capabilities mean to be able to, to cross across clusters of locations versus being center-specific, it will help our team as a whole. So Wayne heard the problem that his staff was sharing with him and he found a really creative solution. He reduced the workforce by a third, and he centralized the back office functions instead of having each office responsible for each of those tasks. Plus, he made the focus all about serving the customer. So the feeling was they're all understaffed. The reality was we weren't leveraging our staffing appropriately. We actually reduced our staff over 33%. I reduced our payroll because we needed to. We were far too over overcosted on payroll. We provided increases for our people. We set up a succession plan of roles that they can move into. Um, and then we changed our labor profile where we had full-time and part-time and at the time on demand to help provide a work experience for different people who are looking for work. Because some people want to be just on demand and some people want to be a great contractor consultant part-time because it fits within their personal life. And some people want a great full-time experience. And then we removed a number of the day-to-day -day functions that didn't provide a customer experience. So that way we can reduce the workload so they didn't feel pressed. You know, Edwin, what impressed me about Wayne is his structured approach to documenting each of his departments. And we'll hear about how he actually lived the experiences of these different employees. But before we get into it, I just want to have this idea of creating a catalog of your organization and how executives could approach it. What you want to do is interview the head of each business unit, and then you simply ask them a few questions and record the results. So what you want to get is the key personal details. So who's in charge of that department? What are they like as a person? What do you know about them? What way do they want to communicate? Do they like email? Do they chat on Microsoft Teams? Do they prefer face-to-face -face communications? What key activities is that department performing every day? And you want to think about customer-facing activities as much as possible here. And then just record what projects they're currently working on and what they have scheduled. Plus, how are they measured? What are those key performance indicators? For a week, I spent time living the roles of each person. And so I spent a week as a community associate, answering phones, delivering mail, you know, emptying the dishwasher, you know, cleaning areas of the center, connecting with clients, dealing with escalations, 
just so I can understand like truly what their day look like look like so I can also understand I can make I can connect the marriage between what they're telling me and what they live right and then the other piece is look the reality is because I had no experience in the industry I wanted them to know I'm not afraid to get my my hands dirty I'm going to sit beside you and I'm going to answer that phone from our virtual office client. I'm going to deal with the issue and I'm going to try to find a way to connect. I'm sure I offered the worst customer experience like for a week, right? So, but I wanted to connect with them. And then I spent time as a community manager in how they led their teams and how they led their, their locations. And then I spent a week with area managers, touring prospects, working on proposals, Dealing with, you know, their call day, with their phone calls and, and managing their sales cycle and just really integrating myself with them. And then, of course, I had one-on-ones with all my leaders as well, understanding where they're finding success and what their frustrations are and how I can be the best leader. That's such an amazing example of how Wayne came into an organization and really understand all the key departments the key leaders, how everyone works. And, I, and Brian, I can't even imagine understanding that just with, you know, the business partners I work with or some of the people who do my production and really understanding what their culture is. And the way he did that structured approach, it just gives me a lot of insight in terms of what it really takes to set yourself up for success, for communication success as you come into a new organization. Absolutely. Like Wayne was really thorough in his approach there. I agree. Uh, It's interesting when we asked him if he thought he made any mistakes, he was able to look back with hindsight. And of Mm -hmm. course, we can all easily identify things we wish we would have done differently with the benefit of hindsight, right? And he wishes that he enacted this cultural destruction more quickly, rooting out some of those managers that staff weren't happy with. And it's just interesting now that even though things have gone pretty well, he points out that when you're doing well, that can actually disguise low performance results. After five years, we're now 133 locations, 3 million square feet, multiple brands. So we've literally grown three times. And you can see it in our revenue and in our profit. It's a highly profitable business at revenues that have over doubled and profit that's over tripled, right? It's been amazing. But I got to tell you, my biggest regret is we didn't grow more. Mm -hmm. In late 2015, 2016, we were growing at such a rate that we were receiving, and I was receiving a tremendous amount of just challenge from, you know, from other leaders in the organization about our growth, because when you invest that much capital and you're growing at that rate, you're adding so much space. Your net growth, basically, which means you're adding more, your your net growth is adding more people than who is leaving, because our business has a natural a natural attrition. Sometimes some of our clients is project based; they move in for a very proposed period of time and they move out. It's a great thing about our business. Yeah. Then you have a lot of people, especially today, that are choosing co-working and flex space as their aspirational destination. But that wasn't the case five years ago, right? So, um, so what was interesting is when you're adding more locations, you're impacting your overall occupancy. And you're degrading some of your mature occupancy from your current business. And that creates a challenge on EBITDA. 
and profits. And while you're, you are posting positive net growth, there's a natural acceleration point because your demand is a certain level. So you're actually decreasing your overall occupancy. It takes a while to fill the center, right? So while you're degrading, slightly cannibalizing some of your mature business, because if you open up a brand new center beside a center that's been around for 15 years, you may have some clients that will say, wow, I love that new center. I love the new brand. I'm moving over, mm-hmm. right? So you create a short-term negative impact on your business. And because we were growing we were the fastest growing business in the world. We started getting to a point where people were struggling to see the immediate return on capital investment. And it became such a focal point that I succumbed to the challenges. Right? And I stopped growing. I stopped leading the growth for about 12 months. And it was in late 2015, 2016. It was a year that we said... We've been adding 20 locations. We're in the midst of a construction project all the time, right? And we're filling those up. We need to take a year off and take a breather. And because we needed to fill those centers and demonstrate that we were doing the right thing internally, not externally, but internally. That was the biggest mistake I made. I lost my conviction for a year. Mm. And because of that, when you lose your conviction for a year on growth, you miss out on opportunities. Because 2017, because we took 2016 off, we've had an unprecedented level of success, 2017, 2018, 2019. But we missed a year of development. We could have been better right now. You know, there's probably one mistake I can think of, and that was, you know, there's, it's interesting, as you start to dive in, you have a gut instinct around, who your great leaders are and where your gaps are. And within that first 90 days, maybe even 120 days, when you know you have a challenge, right, you want to give people the benefit of some time, right? And I really believe that those first 90 days need to be assessment and observation, right? But there were a couple of people in a people leadership role that I knew we needed to change out. In order to truly move forward as the organization we needed to be, we had some gaps. And those decisions I could have made within the first 90 days, I probably took a little bit longer on those decisions. Not that long, didn't carry it forever, but you know, probably within the first 180 days, I would definitely, looking back, have made probably two of those decisions earlier uh, just to start the flywheel momentum at a faster rate with the right leader. And I'll give you a good example. We had a leader that wasn't the right leader in one of our best markets at the time. But that market was so strong, it was masking issues. Mm-hmm. And frankly, we underachieved in that market. We should have been much better. But right. because we were posting better numbers than other markets in Canada, everything's okay. Right. And then you realize there are issues, there are gaps. So as you investigate, as you interview, and as you look at the business, their results versus where the trend should be, you start to understand what you need to do. And then when you have those one-on-ones, you get an idea by asking them open-ended questions, how much they know about their business and how much they know about their people. Then you see where the strengths are and where the gaps are. Then you know. It's so interesting hearing Wayne explain that and and obviously, as you mentioned, hindsight is twenty twenty. But 
for those who are listening, for the emerging business leaders, it's really amazing to get the insight of the business leader as they're going through, even with huge successes, to realize maybe they should have stuck with their gut. Maybe they should have kept their foot on the pedal and kept going with what they originally thought. But obviously, with big organizations and successes, everyone starts chiming in. Yeah. And five years later, Wayne definitely still has his foot on the gas, I would say. And he's still working towards that impossible reality that he co-created with his staff. And when you hear what it is, I think it's really inspirational view that calls upon employees to achieve global excellence. The way people are working today is changing dramatically, guys. Right? We, we're literally changing how people live and work every day. And our children may never work in a traditional office environment. They may work in a collection of co-working facilities and flexible workspaces, depending on what their job need is, depending on who they need to meet that day, and it'll be a combination of physical space and virtual space, right? And they'll work within groups that are global, right? So gone will be the idea of this destination point, and companies will transition away from owning to using. Physical space will be like water, Right? It's actually be like music today. You think about music today, people would not have believed that 20 years ago you would actually not go out and buy a CD. Right? You wouldn't own the asset. Today, we don't even buy iTunes. Right? We don't spend our 99 cents on a song anymore. We sign up for a membership. Mm-hmm. Physical space will become subscription service. And our vision became our mission for all of our clients, which was we want to help every person and every client conduct the best work of their life. That was our goal. And to do that, we had an internal mission that we created based on those 90 days, which was we want to make sure that our organization in Canada, that every person is connected, working together as one team and one unit, driving exceptional, uh, an exceptional environment, an amazing perform- world-leading performance, and that we create leaders around the globe. That became our internal mission. Well, that's it for Wayne. Wow, Brian, so much learnings just from one interview, one part of your research as we you know, dive in to the first 100 days. I'm super excited to share the rest of the conversations, the rest of the interviews that we had done. Um, you want to tell us maybe... A quick teaser, who else we have up to speed, what else we're going to learn, any aha moments that you've, you know, come across during this research? Well, I can't wait to share with your audience, Edwin, the other interviews that we conducted here. And I really appreciate it. I mean, CEOs, they are busy people. So to get an hour of their time to do an interview, (laughs) I was super thankful for that opportunity. And uh, looking ahead to some of the episodes, we have Susan Bowen. She's the CEO of Aptum, which uh, your audience will know is Kojiko Pier 1 more right. recently, right? Um, I talked to Denis Gaudreau. He's the country manager of Canada and Latin America for Intel. Wow. Yeah, so uh, that was really interesting. And then we go into the startup world, and I interviewed Aaron Burry, the CEO of Willful. And up in the northern section of Toronto, we visited Blue Cat, 
where they're an enterprise infrastructure company focusing on DNS. And what was special about that one is we got two executives that had recently moved into new roles with the company. And I'll be interested to be able to compare and contrast how they saw those differences. Well, I'm super excited and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to work with you, Brian, and Infotech Research Group. Can you tell us where we could find information about your research? And we'll obviously put the links in the episode pages so we could link all these interviews together as they come out. Yeah. So if you're an executive that's looking for help with your first 100 days on the job, come to www.infotech.com slash first 100. That's first, all lowercase, 100, all numbers. And you'll see what resources Infotech has there available to you, blueprints to help with different roles getting into their new jobs. And of course, you can ask about the new service that my research project was developing. That's amazing, Brian. Thank you again. And until next time, I'll see you then. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Thank you.